What an amazing story, right? It's so cool to see all the things that God is doing in the lives of people here in this church, in our city, in the schools here in Winston-Salem, and we just cannot get enough of it. And so just pray that God continues to use more stories like that to encourage us to push us forward on mission ourselves. If you don't know me, my name is Caleb Duvick. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities, and I'm excited to be joining you guys as we continue in the series on the book of James. If you have your Bibles, you can actually pull those out. You can flip over to James chapter one. We're gonna keep going where we left off. And while you turn there, I just thought it'd be fun to share a story with you from the life of the Two City staff, give you a peek behind the curtain sometimes. And so uh, one day, I was together with one of our staff members working away on some stuff, and I see him pull out his wallet and pull out his credit card. I'm like, okay, getting on something on Amazon or something like that. But within a minute, I see him holding out his phone like this, holding up his card like this to take a selfie. And I'm like, what are you doing? He said, well, Apple reached out to me. They said there was a data breach and they needed to get all my information again. I'm like, you need to stop immediately. But apparently, he's already given them his name, his address, his phone number, his social security number, his credit card number, and he was about to give them facial ID. And so, you know, he had to, of course, get identity theft protection, all this kind of stuff. You're like, who is this? I wanna know who it was. <laughs> But I tell you that story because today we're gonna to be talking about temptation. And that story is actually a really good picture of what temptation tries to do to us. It tries to deceive us, it tries to draw us in, it tries to make us do foolish or sinful things, and ultimately, at the end of the day, what temptation wants to do is lead us to death and destruction. And you're gonna see this, if we're, let's just dive in and read it. You can start to see this yourself as James unpacks for us. It says, starting in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death." Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, down, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so in this passage, what you're gonna see is James is giving us a sneak, behind, a sneak peek behind the curtain. He wants us to see how temptation works he wants to understand what's going on whenever we experience temptation. And here's what his ultimate desire is, it's the big idea for today, is that the better you understand temptation, the better you are going to experience victory by God's grace in your life when you face temptation. So the better you understand it, the more victory you are going to see. Now, I feel the need to make a note here. Mere intellect is not going to, by itself, going to lead you not into temptation and deliver you from evil. The only thing that can ultimately do that is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we know from Scripture that the only people who have the Holy Spirit in their life are believers. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this sermon will be helpful for you, but there is an invitation for you I wanna give you up front. If you ever want to see victory of temptation in your life, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ first because that is the only thing that will ultimately free you from any power or desire to say no to sin. But a word to Christians, 
If we do have that power inside us, an understanding of temptation can help take away some of the mystery and some of the power that it holds over us because we just don't see clearly whenever we're in temptation. And so here's my reason that I really am excited to, to share this message with you today because I know as I look around the room, there are some of you here who have been battling temptation for years. You've been falling to it for years and you are discouraged. There is somebody who is here today who is filled with guilt and shame because you've already given into something that you hate already this morning. Maybe there's even some people here who have stopped fighting against that temptation because you've completely lost hope. But here's my prayer is that the Lord would use this word from God to help free many of you from temptation today. That it would give you hope that you can fight against it and you can see something different than what you're used to. Something good and something beautiful. That's what James's prayer for us as he walks us through this as well. And the way that he's gonna help us get an understanding is he answers four questions that we all need to know when it comes to fighting temptation. So four things he's gonna unpack for us. The first is, what is temptation? If we're gonna fight temptation well, it's probably helpful for us to know what temptation is, that we all have common language here. And so look with me in verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so what we see here are two different words, two different languages, right? We see trials and temptations, and what we see is they're different from each other. Trials and temptations are different. Trials, Kyle did a good job a couple of weeks ago as he started off the book of James, unpacking what trials are. They're inevitable circumstances in life that make life hard. They're things that we all experience together. They are external. Trials are things that we face outside of us. And we see that God allows trials in our lives for a purpose. He's using them to create endurance, to strengthen us for what's ahead. But he reveals in verse 12 what it ultimately is for. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God wants to strengthen us and give us endurance so that he, in the end, can give us a crown of life. Now, when you hear this word, often we go right to thinking about kings and queens, like King Aragorn, but really what it's talking about is a crown that they would give to an athlete. This may be hard for you to believe, but in a past life, I was an athlete, all right? I used to run track. Even more surprising, I used to be pretty good at it. And so whenever I would run track at Sandwich High School, go Indians, all right? Um, whenever I run a race, you know what they would give me? They would give me a medal. But back then, they didn't give people medals. They gave them a laurel wreath crown and put it on their head that symbolized, you ran this race, you were victorious, and you won. And that's a picture of what James is saying we're gonna get at the end of time is when we have run our race and when we have endured all the trials and made it to the end victoriously, we're gonna receive that crown that says, you made it. You have eternal life with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, waiting for you. That's a beautiful picture. And so we see God uses trials as an end for our good. Today and forever, the purpose of trials is our good, but the purpose of temptation is the opposite of that. The purpose of temptation is to try to get us to pursue evil. And so here's how I define temptation. 
It's opportunities to choose something other than God. It's an opportunity to choose something other than God. All temptation is rooted in the lie that something other than God and his will for my life can meet my needs or bring me satisfaction. It's the lie that God is not that good and sin is not that bad. And while trials are something we face on the outside, they're external, temptation is something we face on the inside. It's internal. Here's something that we see. Temptation is also experienced by everyone. Kind of like trials, temptation is experienced by everyone. In verse 13 it says, let no one say when he is tempted. James doesn't say, now if you happen to be tempted, or if you happen to be one of those particularly weak Christians that still experiences temptation, no. He says, when, broadly, across the board, this is something that we will all face. It is normal for Christians. It is something that we're gonna carry with us to the grave. We will never outlive it. We will never outgrow it. One of the mistakes that sometimes people make is they assume whenever they become a Christian is that you're just not gonna have temptations anymore. But that's wrong. What we see in Scripture is actually Christians probably see increase in the temptations that they face in their life. And so one thing James wants us to see is that we should never be surprised when we experience temptation in our life. Here's another thing that we should see is that, hey, we should not pretend that we don't struggle with temptation, right? We see in verse 14 says, but each person is tempted. Let me ask you a question. Why do we sometimes like to pretend we don't struggle with this? I've led community groups for over a dozen years and in almost every iteration of group that I've led, there's always one guy when we're talking about what we're struggling with who's like, yeah, I don't struggle with anything. I don't have any temptations. I'm like, really? How do I be more like you, okay? But the reality is like, man, we know. Like, be honest. You're struggling with this too because, man, we can look in Scripture and we can see that. And we feel like there's this need to hide, and I don't know why. Because you can look around the room and it's like, man, all of us are in this place. You're not alone. We're not gonna think less of you because we're all there. And so we can be honest about the temptations that we're struggling with. You don't have to hide it behind the mask. And maybe if you don't feel like you genuinely, maybe if you feel like you genuinely don't struggle with temptation, that may be a sign that you're not truly a believer. Because maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit pointing these things out in your life. And that's something else for you to think about. But that maybe should help us to see, man, maybe there's better questions we can ask. I think about this as a community group leader. You know, instead of asking, hey, did you struggle with temptation this week? It's a bad question. Of course we did. Maybe a better question to be, another question that would be better is, hey, when you struggled with temptation, how did you fight it this week? Because we all struggle with this, right? Another thing we see about temptation is that it's common, but it's specific, all right? Here's what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now this is something that should be encouraging to us because it's saying that all of us struggle with similar temptations. We all struggle with similar temptations. There's three overarching temptations that we see in scripture. It's the temptation to have, to acquire these things for ourselves, the temptation to feel, to experience these things that we think are good for us, or the temptation to be. We're willing to compromise, to compromise ourselves to become this thing. We see Satan tempting Jesus with these three temptations when he comes to him in the wilderness. And so you can see there's commonality to the temptations that we feel. 
Most of us deal with the temptation to overindulge in something. Most of us struggle with some kind of sexual temptation. Most of us struggle with some kind of temptation to escape our experiences through something. And so we can relate to each other in so many different ways. And so they're common, but we also see that they're person-specific as well. They're specifically designed for the person. One of my jobs as a pastor for you guys is to live my life openly and authentically before you. One of the things I've never been tempted with is to overindulge in cabbage and cauliflower. <laughs> all right? You put me in a, in a buffet with all that stuff, I promise you I'm not gonna overeat. I've never struggled with the temptation to covet someone's My Little Pony collection. Just doesn't do it for me. That may be for other people, but what I can tell you is I struggle with the temptation to overindulge in soda and unhealthy food. I struggle with the temptation to look at other people's giftedness in ministry and wish I could be like that and lead me to envy and covet. Now that's me, maybe you can relate to that, but maybe for you it's something else because they're specific to each and every single one of us, right? Another thing that we see about temptation is that temptation is not from God. Look at me in verse 13. God may be the source of trials, but he is never the source of temptation. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so James is giving us a little theology of God. He's reminding us of what God is like. He's saying that there's not a tiny particle of God that is evil. God cannot be tempted by it. There's no attraction for him towards it. He is pure in every respect. And because of this, he does not tempt anybody. We can be sure that God is never trying to trip you up He's never trying to seduce you to things that he hates, like sin. And so if temptation does not come from God, the next question that we have to look at is where does temptation come from? That's the second question that James tries to answer is where does temptation come from? And as we look at the whole of scripture, we can see that there's a few sources that temptation comes from. The first is the world. And we see this pretty clearly in 1 John chapter 2 says this, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, they're all temptations. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so we see the things of this world are always going to try to get us to choose the creation over the creator. That is the temptation that we struggle as we face the world, to put our hope and trust and satisfaction in things of this world, the creation, rather than the creator. And so we see it coming from the world, we also see it coming from a enemy, Satan, demons. There's a very spiritual world that we live in, even if we can't always see it around us, and it would love for nothing less but to see us go down the path of temptation and evil. Satan hates us choosing God and choosing life over all these other things. All the lies in our hearts and the world ultimately come from Satan himself, and so we can know as Christians that spiritual temptation is going to ratchet up in our lives. But listen, those aren't the two things that James chose, chooses to focus on here. He points us to something else, something that he believes is actually the primary source of our temptation. He says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and, and enticed by what? his own desire. 
his own desire. James doesn't say when you're lured and enticed by the world. He doesn't say when you're lured and enticed by the devil. He says our own desires are the primary source. You see, the greatest problem for temptation is not outside of us, it's inside of us. The greatest source of temptation is the man or woman that we see in the mirror every morning. And the reason for that is because we have sinful flesh and sinful hearts. Romans 8 does a good job giving us this picture of this war that happens within us, the spirit versus the flesh. Because it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, to your dying day, you're gonna have this sinful flesh that is drawing you to sin all of your life. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it also says that we have a deceitful heart, that we deceive ourselves. No one lies to you more than you. And so we need to be able to, like with James, take responsibility when we're walking down this path to sin that it's not somebody else's problem, it's mine, because it's coming from within. A mature Christian is able to take responsibility for that, but that's hard, isn't it? Because what do we want to naturally do? It's more easy for us to place the blame on something or someone else, is it not? And this has been happening from the very beginning. It's an ancient problem that goes back to our very first parents. We can look at Adam and Eve and the very first temptation that ever happens, and we see them what? Blame shifting. And some of us have the same lies coming out of our mouth that Adam and Eve did in the garden. When we find ourselves falling into temptation or giving into sin, it's like, well, it's my spouse's fault, or I didn't do it, the devil made me do it. Or maybe we're getting more creative in the ways that we're shifting our blame, we're putting that culture in all the ways that culture's jacking us up. Or no, it's the government that's made me this way, or it's my DNA, it's the way I'm hardwired for it. Or maybe it's my circumstances. Well, it was there, how could I not say no to it? Or maybe you're doing what James tells you exactly not to do, and you're pointing the finger back at God. Some of us are saying, man, well God, he made me like this. He gave me this weakness, he put me in this situation. James is saying, you have to stop. Because you know what, it's not your parents' fault, it's not your peers' fault, it's not your circumstances' fault, and it's certainly not your God's fault. It is your fault at the end of the day. And you have to take that responsibility, you have to own up to that. Because listen, a victim mindset is a losing mindset. You will never see victory over temptation if it is always someone else's or something else's fault. If you ever want to experience victory over temptation, you have to be able to want to see you are the primary source and you have to take responsibility. Which leads us to the third question that James wants to answer is where does temptation lead? If we are given into it, where is it gonna lead us? And we see that there's a deadly path that temptation wants to lead us down. Look with me again in verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. We often see sin as this single act. But what James is trying to show us here is that it's a process. No one starts Googling for AA meetings the first time they take a sip of alcohol in college. Right? No one starts asking around for a divorce lawyer the first time they like that person's post on a social media profile. No one kisses away their friends, their family, and their health when they decide to reply to that work email for the first time at family meal. It's a path that's gradual and intelligent. It's not as sudden and random as it seems. 
And as people walk down this path and they find themselves at the end of it, they always ask the question, how did I get here? And the answer is one step at a time. And James lays out those steps. The first step that we see is it starts with desire. In verse 14, again, but each person is tempted and lured and enticed by his own desire. And we see this reference to a lure in every commentary that I read say, hey, this is a fishing metaphor. Some of you are like, cool, I love that, right? This idea of a lure. Now, I don't know much about fishing. My grandfather used to take me when I was younger. Me and my brothers, we were so stupid. We would buy all these lures that we had no idea what they were for. But, you know, as people make them, the common purpose is to catch fish, right? But they design them specifically to try to get the attention of certain kinds of fish, right? And what we see, it's a good picture of what Jesus creates, Satan tries to counterfeit. But it's meant to draw on these desires that God has given us, good desires. You know, food and sleep and sex are good desires if they're enjoyed within the proper context. But what we see is that the lure tries to take it beyond that. It says, in step two, it continues to deception. It moves from desire to deception. In verse 16, James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Because what temptation does is it takes these good desires and twists them. It says, forget about enjoying these in the right way, in the right context. In the right context. It wants to deceive us and to start pushing the boundaries on all these good things. And so we start asking questions like, well, what's wrong with eating a whole pizza? What's wrong with getting a couple extra hours of sleep? What's wrong with DMing this person that's not my spouse? When we start to deceive ourselves in thinking that these things are innocent, we deceive ourselves by making all kinds of excuses. Well, it's only gonna be this one time. It's not that big a deal. No one has to know about this. No one's ever gonna find out. We start deceiving ourselves that way. We start deceiving ourselves. Another way is that we think our situation is different, that we're somehow special. We see other people going down that road and it works out that way for them, but my situation is gonna be different. My favorite example of this comes from the show Arrested Development. You've got these two characters, Tobias and Lindsay Fuque, who are having this terrible marriage. He's a therapist and he's talking about what other couples do to try to work through it. And he's talking about how they try open marriage. And Lindsay's like, does that work out for any of them? And he's like, no, of course not. They somehow delude themselves into thinking that it's gonna work out for them. But maybe it will for us. It's like, that's, that's how we are. It's like, man, I know this doesn't work for anybody else, but maybe I'm different. Maybe I'm special. Another way we deceive ourselves is to only seeing the benefits. We start walking down this road and the consequences get blurrier and blurrier because we're deceiving ourselves. And James is saying, don't do that. He's practically screaming at us, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. This is not going to go the way that you think because we're being deceived in another way, aren't we? Lures are not just shiny, tasty looking objects, right? What else is on a lure? The hook, the hook. Because behind every corrupt desire that we have, there is a hook, always. James is warning us. He says, there is no other way that this is gonna end. You are gonna get dragged and caught by this hook. He's trying to rightly scare us away and open our eyes to see these things. Because what happens next is it moves from disobedient, or from desire and deception to disobedience. That's step three. In verse 15, it says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. This is things where things move into action, where we actually start to give into these things. 
We start to play with the bait a little bit. We begin to nibble on it. And then soon enough, chomp. You're taking the whole thing and then you're hooked. And you start getting dragged places that you never thought you would go. And that you're gonna see the more you give into that temptation, the stronger it becomes. The more you say yes to sin, the harder and harder and harder it is for you to fight it. And you're dragged to a place you never thought you would be. You're a glutton, you're a sluggard, you're in the arena of adultery now. What you thought was just gonna be an instant pleasure has become something far more destructive. And here's where it ends. Step four says that it ends in death. Look at verse 15, it says, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The interesting thing is we go to these things because we think we're gonna find life there. But what we find is the exact opposite. We find ourselves finding death. And you may say, that's a little extreme, Caleb. You saying I'm gonna die if I keep doing these things? Maybe. But there's a lot of different ways that we can experience death in our life, is there not? Maybe for you, it's not physical death. Maybe it's the death of a relationship that meant a lot to you. Maybe it's a death of your integrity. Maybe it's the death of someone's trust that they once had for you. Maybe it's even death to yourself because you've gone down this road and you don't even know who you are anymore. And here's another reality is that you may not always see that death right away when you give into temptation. Maybe you do this and nothing happens, you think you've gotten away with it. But one of the things one of my old pastors always used to say is that sin always finds a way out. It may be days later, it may be months later, it may be years later, but sin loves to find a way out and try to bring as much destruction into your life as it can. Maybe that's why it's waiting, because it knows I'm gonna bring more death and destruction to you and the people around you if I just let this drag out longer. And so we need to be very aware. And here's something to note for the Christians that are listening to this. The enemy cannot take away your salvation through temptation. That's, that's one hope that we have. But here's what the enemy can take away. He can take away your assurance of salvation. He can take away any credibility or influence that you might have had for the kingdom purposes that God left you on this world for. He may take away any joy that you should have felt from your salvation. And in the eyes of the enemy, he's perfectly happy with that whenever that happens in the life of a believer. That's a big win for him. What James is saying is you have to consider what this is gonna end as. You have to look down this deadly path because you need to see clearly when you keep saying yes, yes, and yes to this temptation, where it's going. Maybe one of the most helpful things that you guys can do today is think about the specific temptations that you're dealing with today and ask yourself, where could this end? Maybe you need to sit down and actually write this out. What do you stand to lose if you never learn to say no to this? What relationship are you gonna lose? What is it gonna do to your health? What's it gonna do to your vocation? What's it gonna do in your relationship with your kids? Where could this lead to death if what James is saying is true? And honestly, that should scare the tar out of you. But maybe it's one of the most helpful things that you can do. Now that we're all depressed. <laughs> Let's look at the last question that James wants to answer for us. And it's this, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of temptation? 
I don't know where you're at today here in this room. Maybe you're all too familiar with this deadly path. Maybe you're thinking back to all the ways that you've given into temptation over and over again, and you are having a hard time seeing how God can do anything good or redeem this situation that you find yourself in. But there's a truth that I want you to rest in today, even in the midst of failure, is that even though God did not bring us into this temptation, he can bring us out of it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far into it you, you've given yourself. Romans 8 says that God can work all things together for good, even your giving into temptation. He can work those things for good for those who love him. He wants us to see that we can experience something this day forward. James is gonna point us to a different hope that we can have in the midst of temptation. Verse 17, it says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is pointing us back to a God who is good and always will be. He doesn't change, there's no variation in that fact. He's also pointing us back to a God who's a giver of good and perfect gifts and one of the gifts that we see him extending to us in the midst of temptation, we find this in 1 Corinthians 10. It says this, we saw this earlier, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, you see that truth there again, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. You guys, the deadly path to temptation is not the only path. There is an escape hatch, there is a way out, there is another path that we can choose. And verse 12 tells us what that is. In verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Our temptation can become trials, right? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You see, when temptation, the world and our enemy is offering us death, what do we see God extending to us? Life, the very opposite. And so one of the ways that we can fight temptation is by seeing temptation not as an inevitability of death, but an opportunity for life. It is not inevitable that this has to lead to death. It's an opportunity for us to choose the path of life. Here's the reality, before Christ, the path to death was the only option for us. Because Romans says that we were a slave to sin. That means we could not choose anything different but to run down that path of death as hard as we could. And let's be honest, as sinners, we didn't have a desire to choose anything else. We would run down that no matter what. But what we see is that Jesus Christ came and gave us another option. He became deceived and tempted in every way as we are, but he did not sin. He did what we could not do. But in spite of that, he ran down that pathway to death and died the death that we should have died so that he could come back and say, you don't have to do this. I have purchased with my blood another path for you, and it's a path to life. And so what we see is that, man, whenever we have a temptation, it's no longer a straight path to death, but it's a fork in the road that we get to choose. Are we gonna choose death? Are we gonna choose life? And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, what we see is that we are no longer slaves to sin. You don't have to say yes to sin. You're not a slave anymore. You are a son and daughter of the king. He's given you the freedom to be able to choose him instead. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, what we see is he gives us new desires. We are not drawn in the same way to those sinful things, but we find out that when we run down that path to life, there is so much greater joy in those things 
than in these deadly things. And so he gives us new taste buds. The more we say yes to life, the more and more easy it is for us to go down that road. It's this beautiful thing. And so we have a choice. You no longer have to see that path as an inevitability of death, but you can see it as an opportunity to choose what is right and what is good. Every temptation, you need to see it this way. It's an opportunity to move to life rather than death. That is one of the best ways that we can fight temptation. Here's another way we fight temptation. It's by being ruthlessly committed to the truth. Verse 18 says, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. James is reminding us that it was the truth of the gospel that saved us and it's that same truth of the gospel that is going to save us from our temptations. We have to be ruthlessly committed to that truth of the gospel. Some of you need to start telling yourselves that truth because you have not been hearing it. You have been deceived. Some of you need to finally admit that you are on the path to death. You cannot get out of something that you don't believe you're in. You have to admit that to yourself. Some of you have to finally admit that you are the one that needs to take responsibility. You need to stop blaming something or someone else for your temptation and for your sin. You need to admit that and be ruthlessly truthful with yourself. Some of you need to be truthful and say, I have been miserable running down this path because the sinful Christian is a miserable Christian. So start telling yourself the truth, be honest. What have you gained from giving into temptation? Seriously, what have you gained from it? Has it really been worth it? Or are you starting to see that it's a broken cistern that could never satisfy you? Start telling yourself the truth. Another thing that you need to start doing is start speaking the truth to yourself in the midst of temptation. What do we see Jesus doing to fight temptation in his life when he's being tempted by the devil? He speaks truth back at it. He's being deceived in all these different ways. He's like, no, here's what God says. Here's what I know to be true. And I'm gonna speak that into this. Some of you need to stop listening to yourself so much when you're in the midst of temptation to start speaking to yourself more. That's being ruthlessly committed to the truth. Another way we do that is by living truthfully and honestly before others. We see this in verse 17. Another good and every good and every perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights. And that's this image that we see all throughout the New Testament, that God loves the light. It's where truth and honesty resides. But where does sin and temptation reside? In the dark, because that's where sin grows, that's where it gets a stranglehold on us and never lets us go. One of the ways that we see the power of that sapped is by bringing it into the light, because it does not have the same kind of hold on us there. And so we need to find somebody. Who can you share your temptations and your struggle with? Someone that loves you, someone that loves God and can help you. And that brings us to the last thing that we can do to fight temptation is we fight temptation in community. Verse 18 says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a, a kind of first fruits in his creation. We need to remember, we're not alone. We are all on the same journey when it comes to temptation. Even though our temptations may be different, remember, they are common. We are all on the same path and we can fight temptation together. One of the best passages in scripture that talks about this is Hebrews 3, it says, but exhort one another every day, 
as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the best ways we can fight against being deceived is by living in Christian community. Because if the biggest deceiver is ourselves, we need other people in our lives who can see us rightly. They can see past that deception and see the hooks that we don't see. And so how can you plug in with Christian community? Who in your life do you need to connect yourself with and talk about these things? Who do you need to invite to speak into your life, to exhort you, to encourage you, to push you, to challenge you every day, as long as it's called today, to fight against your temptation so that we may see victory? Who's someone that you need to invite into your life today? As we come to a close, I just really wanna say this again. This passage is not meant to make us crumble as we think about our temptation. It's meant to give us so much hope. That's what James is doing. He wants to give us hope. He's trying to take the mystery away from what temptation is so that we can see it clearly. I see what you're trying to do. I see the offensive play that you're gonna run, so I'd better know how to run defense against it. That's what he's trying to do for us. He's showing us that there's another way. And here's the reality. The more that you fight temptation, the weaker it becomes. There may never be a day where you'll never struggle with this temptation again. There may never be a day where you can say, I'll never sin in this way again. But what we know is that as you fight it, the easier and easier it is for you to say no. That should bring us hope. And we know what's waiting for us at the end, right? We know if we endure to the end, there's a crown of life waiting for us. That's beautiful news for us. But listen, today is not the end. Today, you may have that hook in your mouth, but by God's grace and by his power, he can free you from that and send you down the path to life. And I want you guys just to imagine what that would be like. You know, I've challenged you to say, what would it look like if you run down this path to death? Where could it lead? I want you to think about the opposite. What would it look like if you ran down the path to life? If you started saying no over and over and over again to these temptations that you're struggling with, how might your life look different five years from now? How might your relationship with Christ look different from what it is today? How might it look different with your spouse, with your kids, with your health, with your job? How might God be able to better use you for his glory and for his kingdom? Maybe take some time to write that down and give a vision for yourself that you can cling to when you face those temptations and start seeing temptation again as an opportunity not to run down the path to death, but to enter into more and more life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled and grateful for good news. God, I know that this is a, a struggle for each and every single one of us in some respects. And I know the weight that that can put on us when we think about all the ways that we failed, all the ways that we struggled when it comes to temptation. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today. And like I said at the beginning of our time, that you would really today start to give people freedom in this area of their life. That they would no longer be slaves to sin, but they would see that they are sons and daughters of the king that you're inviting into life. I pray that that would start today for many people, Lord. Now you would get the glory because you're the one who made it happen. You were always the one who was gonna make it happen. You are good. 
So we thank you for these good gifts. We thank you for life. It's in Christ's name.